You don't want like a 30 year old man living in your house when you're trying to just like go on a date. That would that would actually be my ideal. I, I would I would love to have that guy just kind of hovering around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, where's the kimchi? Where's the beer? What a drag it is getting Hey, Ryan, have you called your mom lately? I haven't called her, no, but we did participate in a family chat group during the Super Bowl. Mm, that sounds like really important stuff, dude. Well, what about you? Uh, I call my mom like every other day. All that effort and you're still not the favorite child. But good on you for trying, Roman. I'll have you know I am the favorite child. But, you know, there's honestly never any time for a meaningful chat, especially with the time zones. Uh, have you asked her where her money is going yet? <laughs> Do you think her kids will be like this when we get older? I mean, we're probably not having kids, though we probably should. Otherwise, it's off to the nursing home with us. Dude, just call your mom. My mom is the one who told me that, actually. Anyway, I'm Ryan Joe. <laughs> and I'm Roman Segel. And we are two dudes who love our moms, whether they support us spending all our money on comic books or not. So this week on Quarantine Comics, a very special episode. We are reading Moms by... Ma Young Shin. Thank you. No problem. My wife is Korean and totally helped me out there. And I probably still mispronounced it, so I am so sorry. There's a whole country of angry people, including your relative in-laws. But anyway, Moms is an oft-amusing, often dark tale about how a handful of middle-aged Korean moms that can provide a new perspective on that one person you could always be calling more. While the book is set in modern-day Korea and based on the real-life stories of the author's mom's life, the themes are universal because, hey, moms are people too. So Yeon, Myung-a, Kyung-a, and Young-jun. Let me try that again. So Yeon, myung Kyung-a, and Young-jun are all mothers in their mid-50s who are bearing the weight of unloving partners, dishonest dating, working to make ends meet, negligent children, drinking, dancing, and even the occasional street fight. Sad and funny at the same time, Moms is a book that I'm not sure we would have found on our own, but I'm sure glad we did. What makes this episode of Quarantine Comics so special, not that every episode isn't special in its own way, is that tonight's book was recommended... We, 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 love, we love all of our episodes All equally, of our episodes equally, but some episodes are a little more equal than others. And this one <laughs> is just very, very equal. Tonight's book was recommended by Jen Wang, Eisner Award-winning comics creator of books like The Prince and the Dressmaker and Stargazing, who we recently had the privilege of chatting with on Roman's other podcast, Modern Minorities. Welcome to Quarantine Comics, Jen. Hi, I'm happy to be here. You know, excited to talk to other people about comics, always. <laughs> comics that aren't your own, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's what makes it fun. Well, so Jen, before we do dive into moms, we always like to ask our occasional guests about their comics and pop culture sensibilities. So I guess, what have you been reading lately? Well, the real answer is not a whole lot. <laughs> but I've, part of that is because I'm, I'm like deep into the production of a book that I'm working on right now. And when I'm working on my own book, I just cannot read any more comics at the end of the day. But I did make an exception for moms because I've been wanting to read this for like a long time. And 
I've heard so many good things about it. Well, how about books that you liked growing up? What what inspired you and what influences your creations today? I was really into manga growing up. So I would just read a series a week. And since I, I work in uh, YA middle grade books, I end up reading a lot of those just because I get to see what other people are doing, other people in the industry are uh, working on. I guess there's just like a lot of kid lit in my life, both when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, growing up and, and now. Were there other authors or genres that you gravitated to beyond manga or even in manga or specific series? It was kind of all, all over. In manga, things were divided by like shoujo and shonen. There have since been more categories uh, or genres that are translated that are available. But when I was growing up, it was like, you know, you have either the, the Sailor Moons or the the Dragon Ball Zs. And like, I, I kind of like stuff that was a little in between. You know, I didn't want books that were necessarily just all about high school dating, you know, like, like stuff that had maybe a little bit of that, but also some fighting. My favorite series when I was a teenager was this one called Rurouni Kenshin. And it was just like a samurai type of book series but there was a lot of hijinks and romance and that kind of thing thrown into it too let's talk about moms like the fun thing about this podcast is we you know there's a lot of eastern comics that we've been reading but we're extending far beyond the islands of japan we've spent a whole month in china and i guess now we're in korea so guys what are your first impressions of moms i i loved it <laughs> the thing that surprised me a little bit i found the the title a little misleading because I assume just based on the fact that it's called Moms that it would be about, you know, motherhood. And it's kind of not. It's more about what happens after your kids grow up, after they become adults, and just what you're doing with your life. I and mean, I found that actually so much more interesting. What's the type of perspectives that we don't actually hear a lot from in any medium, whether it's prose novels or movies. I feel like people who are older still have very interesting, very vibrant lives. I loved it too. You know, what struck me was how lonely everyone in this book is and how they, they're kind of drawn to these relationships that most of them are just incredibly, incredibly toxic. And they just keep kind of coming back to, the, to that as, as a way to kind of stave off their loneliness. At the same time, what was also interesting to me about this book is how, you know, in, in a way, it almost kind of feels like women in their 20s, men, men and women in their 20s who are just kind of dating around. And But, you know, now these people are in their mid-50s and they're alone. And now, you know, you kind of see how the stakes for these people are just so much so much higher because they're they're genuinely afraid of living out their, the rest of their days alone. And that, that creates a certain a certain poignancy. You know, the sort of stories about like, a bunch of people getting involved in strange relationships, that's usually reserved for younger people. When you are alone in your 50s, it's a lot different when you're alone in your 20s. One, one interesting thing, like being alone in your 70s and 80s, true end of life, it's fine. You're, you're done. You can look back with rose-colored glasses on everything you experienced and say F you to the universe. But in your 50s, you've got a 40-year slog ahead of you, right? Of like, I have no money. My kids don't call me. And that's I definitely wouldn't call it the secret life of moms, but, you know, even in this pandemic, I think about like, gosh, what are my parents doing? Like, I don't, I try to call them, but like, they're living this entire life that, you know, when you're raising kids, my life currently revolves around my kids. And, you know, probably after they're out of the house, I'll still have a couple more years of a career, but I don't know, man. It's just like, uh, how they find definition to their life was like really interesting. And it, through the whole book, I like I was rolling an emotion of like darkness, but by the end, I felt this like optimism of perseverance. Right? It's just like 
she's going to get through it. She has to. She doesn't have another choice. So fuck it. I'm going to I'm going to deal with this. Yeah, I why well, I don't want I actually did have a problem with the ending, but we can kind of <laughs> Yeah, what? <laughs> of course you I, I wanted of course to talk about the ending too, just but oh, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's jump to the do you want to just talk about the ending now? Since yeah, we're both let's go. Bit. Yeah, let's let's get out well, of the way. Uh, Jen, what was your what were your thoughts on the ending? When I first got to the very end, you know, you sort of have this uh, spread where there's someone making food. You know, it's like this really nice elaborate dinner, and then you turn the page, and it turns out to be John Suk. Is that the name? the The boyfriend who's you know so young, the main character has this like on and off kind of toxic relationship with. And my first you know, response was like, ugh, you know, like they're going to get back He's together like, again. But then, you know, I I thought about it a little more. And even though I still, I don't want her to go back to him, it almost didn't matter whether she did or not in, in the, just like the way that the book ends. It was like a glimmer of hope, not for the relationship, but just for the fact that, you know, she's kind of doing well um, in her life. And for the first time someone made dinner for her mm. and that that it just that little small victory whether or not she accepts the because it was like a text um that she got with you know like he sends a picture of like this dinner that he made her um you know whether or not she accepts and whether or not she actually goes through with this this like dinner date you know it maybe it's just nice that someone thought of her and thought to take care of her because she spent her whole life just sacrificing and taking care of everyone else there's a toxic codependence and maybe he'll still do her wrong later but i don't know I, there was like a, a sliver of character growth even though i yeah. don't like the guy either that's i think that so i i actually liked all of the other good things that happened to soyeon the chunks of thing felt, you know, you hear me use this a lot, unearned, because, you know, there was really no evidence beforehand that Chung Suk is growing at all or is even interested in in being anything more than what he already is. Contrast this with the son, who, you know, is at, initially we see him, he's just sort of this dude who hangs out playing video games. And we actually find out that he's actually a very passionate, sensitive artist. He has a song about his grandmother who had it, who, you know, before then, the grandmother had only been this character who says who would tell who told Soyeon come live with me so you can be my servant and then we have the grandson's perspective of the grandmother and it's much yeah, I really like different. that chapter a lot right and he and so and he sings this expansive song about her and even even Chung Sook is like hey he's he's actually pretty talented and then you have this moment at the end after she kind of kicks him out he sends her money and after this next scene is is Soyeon kind of dancing and singing in the bathroom as she's cleaning. And I was actually talking to my wife, Sophie, about this because she because she sends money to her parents. And she said, it's not really because they need it. It's they want they kind of want the bragging rights. You know, oh, my my kid is in New York and sent me a thousand dollars, you know, that sort of thing. And to me, to Jen's point, that is the kind of the moment where somebody is looking out for for so young. And it's her son who's a necessary part of her life and who has kind of shown growth and depth you know increasingly throughout the throughout the book versus like for me kind of ending on chung suk was like i know it's like just like two or three pages but it was sort of like oof, not not that guy again you know especially <laughs> because there'd been this 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 cycle of toxicity and even though he's show he seems to be turning over a new leaf it's such a sudden thing for this character i, f I felt basically that that optimism had been accomplished with the with the son. And and that's really kind of for me the relationship that really 
should matter for for Soya, not this not this asshole. I I mean I I agree and I disagree. Well, first about the son, probably the most beautiful moment in the entire story was when she kicked him out of the house. Like I I want my children to be independent and I don't want my children to live with me or feel like they depend on me at a certain point because that means I mean, not to be judgmental of the main character, but that means I failed as a parent. If I mean, I will if she needs if my daughter or my son need to come back and stay with me. Great. Can I but just like, point out want... that there's something like in Korea, it is actually more common to live with your parents if you're unmarried, you know, whether you're sure. Yeah, it, same. Same in India, actually. Same in India. It's multi-generational houses. It's funny, a lot like a lot of my family in India, when they would find out that my sister and I like moved away as soon as we started college and didn't come back home, they found it really weird. Like we moved to another state. But I guess that moment of her realizing I'm enabling you to not go further, right? And it's it's that kind of choice in that moment. But to challenge on the relationship, that's the most important. I mean, I, I, I'm conflicted on this. Like, I, I do think your relationship with your children should be the most important. But at some point, like, the the baby birds have to leave the nest. And so that shouldn't be the defining relationship of your life, should it? Like, well, I don't I, mean I don't the defining like, the relationship of, of her life. I mean, it's more important than Chungsuk, which I don't think that's debatable. Well, I don't want to say it's not debatable, but, you know, I mean, Chungsuk is just this dude <laughs> who kind of hangs out and calls her when he's drunk, and her son is her son. But, okay, I, I agree that he sucks, <laughs> but I think he um, sucks. someone wants... Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jen's yes, just going to Jen hangs up. <laughs> No, I I think the with your family, you kind of have this genetic predisposition of you have to love them. You know, you have to take care of them. You have to call your mom. You have to love your kids. No matter what my daughter does, I will always love her, blah, 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 blah. And with friendships, relationships, like my wife is a relationship. It is an earned relationship, right? Like if I screw up too much, that relationship ends. With your children, that relationship, in theory, never ends. Like, it can if it gets so bad. But you you never lose that bond with your family, as Vin Diesel says. <laughs> but, <laughs> as the wise yes, sage, the great, the great American says. philosopher, Vin Diesel. <laughs> yes. But, uh, but, like, friendships are earned. Relationships are earned. And so I'm not saying that Chung Suk doesn't suck. What I am saying is that she's starting to affect some change in him because of how they value each other. Again, whatever toxic fuck up in this it is. So that's why I think, while it, it might have kind of come out of left field, in the realities of relationships, like friendships, non-blood relationships are more earned. And so I think that's why it is more powerful that all of a sudden he feels the need that I want to take care of you a little. Well, we don't know where it's going to lead, but... I, that's why I found it more powerful than the thing with her son. Like the son thing was supposed to happen. The, the thing about the son is, is interesting because this whole book is based on stories of the author's mom writing her own life um, into little notebooks for him. And I found it kind of sweet that he's really taking her perspective. And I'm assuming the son in this book is a little bit of a stand-in for him <laughs> seeing as he is a, a cartoonist and probably you know someone who didn't seem like a super ambitious guy ready to like leave the nest um, I'm you know maybe I'm I'm projecting but <laughs> I feel like that he was a little bit of a stand-in and really trying to see his mom's perspective which is that maybe she 
wants him to grow up. There's that scene where the son is living alone and there's this cockroach. He sprays <laughs> it and the cockroach says, it tickles. And he and the son's like, oh, he doesn't know what to do. Like There's a whole like two or three pages of him trying to defeat a cockroach. And I think the author mentioned that one of the catalysts for this book was he was living alone for the first time and he realized how difficult housework is. And that's what kind of what got him thinking about the life that his his mother had. So I kind of wonder if that moment with the cockroach, to your point, Jen, was like, that stand-in moment of of something that maybe maybe a little bit autobiographical. The, the, yeah, the first no, time exactly. you have to kind of kill that roach. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, this is this is this is a real experience, isn't it? <laughs> Just you know, and he has well a- after that, So Young goes home at some point after work, and she's like wow, I don't have to do any housework. You know, my son is gone. (laughs) And like, I can just like, you know, go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, And just like watch TV. And I feel like there's kind of a stereotype of the empty nester who's just really clinging to their children and just spending too much time thinking about their kids. And I really appreciated that it's coming from this uh, perspective of someone who's happy (laughs) that her son has left and now she can not have to take care of anyone and live her own life. She goes out and like, eats out with her friends and goes to the club and you know even if you know i a non-alcoholic daytime dancing club yeah yeah and so she you know she's living her life and i i like that it was about you know what how you fill your time and how you find meaning after your kids are grown and and he did better as a result of it. Yeah, yeah. It's telling that the book's called Moms, and there's actually very little of them being moms. I mean, I know we've spent the mm-hmm. first part of this episode talking about the son, but he's actually kind of a minor character. Mm-hmm. It really is kind of more about her relationship with her friends, her relationship with her work, her relationship with, with Chung Suk. Her, her street with, fighting with like, romantic her romantic rivals. <laughs> well, I'm actually, so what did you, I, I'm actually, what did you guys think about that that love triangle? I mean, and, well, and but Chung there, but there was like that. a, there was a parallel, there was a parallel story. Mm-hmm. Like I got really confused by the middle and this is my own Western ignorance, like not fully attaching to the names as I'm reading them because they're unfamiliar names. But the main character's boyfriend had the flower shop girl. But then one of the main character's best friends was in a relationship that was similar, but it was about a coffee shop or a restaurant, right? Like, and I was like, I that yeah. felt either there's, by there's design, like they were creating, yeah, they were creating character parallels or. Or if so much of this is from true story notes of like, there's just certain archetypes of like, uh, adult divorced affairing women like of the types there's... of the types of scenarios that are playing out in the culture yeah there's a moment at the end she comes to this realization when she looks at another of her friends toxic relationships i think it's i think it's the one involving the journalist so her friend mm-hmm. is in a tri- love triangle with its journalist and she eventually is like oh, I won. I got him. You know, I kind of like shoot off the other the other long-term woman. And the victory is actually just very, very hollow and empty and kind of pathetic, right? It's sort of like, okay, you caught this loser and what? And I think that there, that there's there's a moment where that kind of opens Soyeon's eyes. She's like, oh, okay. She kind of sees her relationship in that light. And uh, I think shortly thereafter, she actually meets the flower shop lady, not to beat her up or to get in a fight, but to just kind of have have a drink together and credit this to Sophie, my wife's observation also, because Sophie read this too. And, you know, one thing she pointed out was that it was, it was actually kind of a very beautiful moment because it was this moment of real connection between these two women who had been at each other's throats before. And it was, it, it was a moment of connection that was born out of each of them seeing each other at 
their kind of lowest moments, right? When they are having this fist fight over this loser guy, they both saw each other at their worst. And now they're having this moment to commiserate and actually bond over it and to see what they were doing in a different mm-hmm. light. You know, as I was reading this, my wife, you know, it's a pretty thick book. So she was like constantly seeing me carrying it around the house. And she's like, what's that book about? And by the end, as I was finishing it last night, I was like, it's about how men are just terrible. Like, <laughs> like I I read this book and I hate all men. <laughs> yeah, like the, the son is kind of the best like male character in the book and he's like a little bit of a loser maybe <laughs> but, and, but he's gonna grow up to be one of these men <laughs> how many girlfriends and married women does he have like, it's but okay and I, I, it's a dangerous territory to go here but certain asian cultures have a deeper misogyny than others do and it's not it's not an unknown fact in work culture specifically in japan korea this is an actual problem like in the societies you have young women who don't want to get married who were like you know i'm making it my career in a tech company i don't want to get married i don't want to settle down to deal with the guy who's just going to be like this and so again it's written from the notes that his mom wrote but how much of this is a, a filter into kind of the relationships between men and women of a certain age in this country that's to me it was like a little anthropological in that sense but i know it's like a work of you know quasi-inspired fiction yeah i wondered about that a bit too where you know obviously when something bad happens either in a relationship or at work there's a sexual harassment situation it's like obviously they're upset and they try to you know make it make it right either by you know they're powerless yeah yeah and then and then and then the thing is like it doesn't seem like um, they're really able to do a lot. They end up talking to the media. So Young goes on the radio, and the one worker who was harassed ends up picketing outside and drawing the media's attention. And the boss ends up getting fired. But at the same time, it's definitely talking about something that's systemic. And it's not like they really do a lot better necessarily when they move to their new job. It kind of mirrors a bit the relationships in the book where it's like, well, this guy kind of sucks, but then the next guy they date, eh, it's like it's not like he's that much better, you know, and they're not happy about about their relationships, but it, it almost feels like something that everyone else is going through. So I wondered how outraged they are. <laughs> how much of this is the norm or they're not outraged because well, especially the job thing really like laid it out. It's like, well, this is kind of the way life is. Like even when they're trying to unionize, like it's like, well, this is the way it is. Can we really do anything about this situation? And I was like, that like that the work stuff and the sexual harassment stuff like really set me into like a state of despair as I was like reading their story. I was like, is this what it's like there your, in general? Your point? Roman, about it kind of feeling very anthropological. Like there's, and even this is both with the workplace stuff and as well as like each relationship, there's like an incredible level of specificity to, to everything. Like the workplace, it's not just workplace harassment. There's a lot of like subterfuge and maneuvering, like the way they set up this other woman to start a warring union that's under the aegis of the Yeah, of that's the totally organization. That, that yeah, yeah, happen. yeah, yeah. That feels, that feels real. But even kind of, you know, even even the way she kind of represents herself when she's on the radio show, there's an awkwardness there, right? She's like, "Oh, are you? Are, is it? Does it give you the power to do collective bargaining?" And she's like, "What's collective bargaining?" So, 
you know, the, the, the fact that she's kind of unprepared for this, unprepared to be a spokesperson for this feels also feels very real and true to that character. Um, and each relationship with each man is very specific. Each one is toxic, but each one is toxic in a very, in a very distinct way. It's a, a special flavor of toxicity with each relationship. And that distinctiveness in pretty much everything that's depicted here keeps it from feeling like just like a statement piece and feels like stuff that really happened. It feels more like 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 a record. And it feels, it feels real, you know, because the, the danger, of course, when you try to make a statement is that everything feels like an archetype. And that's definitely not mm. the case with, with moms. Well, so just to like ruin my optimism of the ending of this book, there are a lot of small victories along the way, right? Them getting a new job, the CEO being fired, and there's and even the moment where her coworker who had originally been picketing gets to tell off that other woman, right? Like that's just like such a pyrrhic victory, right? And the, the final scene with the toxic boyfriend finally cooking her dinner, these are small wins. And what what made me angry, what made me really reflect upon closing the book was like that sucks that those are the victories. Like, I mean, you take them because you've got to persevere. This is life. Keep going. Go, go, go. But I just, like, my heart just goes out that, like, that's it? Like, that's that's your victory? Like, I mean, you have to take what you can get, but it's like, the world shouldn't, like, that's just getting you to normalcy. Uh, a boyfriend or a husband that will cook a meal for you. A workplace that doesn't suck. You know, people getting their due for being shitheads at work. Like, I was like, I was really upset. Like, they kind of got to normalcy at the end. And I guess that's good because that's that's life for the next 30, 40 years, right? But I don't know. It was This this book took me down some really dark twists and turns of like my own analysis. And yeah, I don't know. Well, I think a triumphant, you know, a big triumph would feel not true to the tone of, of the book. And... That's not real. That's the darker part. Life isn't isn't movie victories. Life is like small wins that get you to normal. There's so many dark things that happen in the book. But at the same time, I I felt like it's so good at capturing reality and what reality is like for a lot of people that I have a sense of how beautiful life can be, even when it's not what you fantasize. You know, as a young person, it's sad and it's not sad. You know, it's it's kind of just simple and beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's, fu- it's funny really- as hell. Like, yeah, it's so funny. It's really, it's really <laughs> actually, kind of. We've been talking about the darkness, but it is. I mean, it opens with a fist fight between uh, two middle-aged women. So, yeah, it's it's actually kind of a hilarious book. It, and I think that helps yeah, a lot. Yeah, it, it's a romp. It, it, it is a romp. And, well, and you know, the, the friendship thing is, the, this this actually diminishes the book to say it, but to shortcut it, it's like old women, old Korean women, sex in the city is kind of, but it's not about the sex. It's not about the city. It's about the friendships, right? And the conversations about what's going on in their life. And friendships are earned, right? And these four or five women even and especially two of them have like a major schism by the end of the book, but they come back together because it's it's friendship. We need this friendship to like, it's not your, I hate to say it, it's not your kids that give it meaning. Your kids are always going to love you. You're always going to love your kids. You're always going to make them food. They're always have a welcome place at your house, but your friends like that. It's more of an enduring investment. And that was, that was the sweet part. And all the humor comes from the friends talking shit (laughs) like there's this one scene where she's with like her rich friend and they're like 
the rich friend is like just talking shit about everyone in the restaurant. I, I, I want to ask a parenting question because Jen, you have one or two kids, I believe. I have one. Yeah. How does this? part of the reason like anytime there's something about parents or kids that we read like it just takes me to like a really weird place because i'm become self-reflective on oh gosh like obviously we all have parents and so i was very reflective on the life my parents must be living but did this make you reflect any on you as a parent 20 30 40 years from now not as these people obviously right like but like what life is going to be like later on in life yeah, it did. And I've been talking about this aspect, but just I like that it was about what your life is like after children, uh, you know, or after after they're adults. And I thought it was kind of like cool and funny and <laughs> and interesting that they had lives that were just as dramatic and lively as like like 20 year olds. And maybe that's a bad thing in the case of having this on and off toxic boyfriend. But, you know, I, I like that they were so social still and they're always like texting each other, which the way it's done in the book is super funny, too, because, you know, they're like posting selfies on social media. And I, I just thought it was nice that they had these inner lives that were not what you imagine grandparents doing, just like sitting at home watching TV all day. Life doesn't end after your children leave. And I feel like we don't really get to have that perspective because it's normally from you know, I feel like the perspective of the younger person where you're thinking about your parents and how they're just sort of like in your way. <laughs> you said that, not me. <laughs> Mom, dad, that's Jen. She's like yeah. this weird California person. I don't think that. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that either. But, you, you know, I, I feel I like that's, it. yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's the perspective about moms you know it's like usually they're just like kind of like overbearing and they want to you know they kind of want to butt in on your life and and this is sort of not about that at all i had this weird moment about a year ago or almost my after my uh, second was born my parents actually came up to visit him it was a really long week with them and i remember taking them to the airport early in the morning and as they were leaving just kind of like like <sighs> you know and at that exact moment, as soon as like I let out the sigh, I was like, oh, God, like 30 years from now, my daughter is going to be doing that about me. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And, just, and that's what this book really made me feel. It was like seeing their perspective because I'm going to be these people. I mean, again, not these exact people, not these exact things, but like it is important to have a life beyond your kids. And it is because your kids, they're not going to be there because they need to go live their own life they need to be independent they don't need to live in your house they need to pursue their <laughs> music and coffee shop career i guess so ryan you want to have kids yet oh hell no <laughs> <laughs> this book was like the nail in the coffin <laughs> you don't uh, want like a 30 year old man living in your house when you're trying to just go on a date <laughs> That would actually be my ideal. I would love to have that guy just hovering around. Uh, <laughs> hey, where's the kimchi? Where's the beer? You know, it, it's worth saying, you know, we spent so much time talking about the story. And there is something brilliantly simple about the art. Obviously, like the six panel design. But even like there's just like these moments of repetition that really, I don't know. There, there's so much about the pacing the and the emotion. That, that just comes out by the, I don't want to say simplicity, because there's clearly like some thought going into kind of the 
the panel by panel design, but it, it really made you kind of like live and breathe in these moments. Um, the simplicity really helps because there's so many different female characters of the same age and they're actually very distinct visually and part of it is the hairstyle, but even just with the faces, uh, he's very good at communicating each individual you know, with a few details around the face. So I, I mean, and yeah, the pacing I thought was really effective. There's that moment when Okcha gets sexually harassed and assaulted and you know, one of the women says, okay, we're going to meet this attorney. And like in two panels, he conveys, you know, just how arrogant and uninterested this attorney is. I mean, there's like a whole mm. sequence that happened before that. And it's it's just conveyed in these two really quick panels, just both the close-ups of this woman's face going from like frowning and then smiling and saying, all right, we'll continue this conversation another time, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he's so good at those like subtle expressions where, you know, exactly what the character is thinking even yeah. though even if they're not saying anything like the reaction uh faces are like so funny <laughs> yeah you can like live in them but so okay one thing that you know the one thing that made me feel like a total american when i was reading this is every time i saw bang <laughs> i thought it was a gunshot <laughs> and i was like oh shit what just happened and then i was like oh they slammed the door. That's just how they slam doors in Korea. <laughs> when Sophie moved moved here, uh, her parents were kind of worried that she would get like of all the like the rampant gun violence. <laughs> so, <laughs> any any final reflections on the book, Jen? I guess this is like not really about anything directly in the book, but maybe just as a writer, I I can't not think about this part. But you know, because like the the book is made up of stories that were told to to the author you know it is fictionalized but so much of it just feels so real you're totally gonna give your parents a journal aren't you (laughs) well the thing is like if that were me um i would feel a little weird not crediting my mom as the other writer obviously he makes it very clear how the Mm -hmm. book came about and clearly he loves his mom and and the whole book is about her and her life and how much he appreciates everything that she's done for him at the same time it feels a little bit awkward to have this be a book by Yongshin Ma, you know, and not really also co-written by his mom because it's her story. Like, what is her name? I mean, yeah. maybe she doesn't care, but... Well, um, maybe she doesn't want her name in it. But yeah, I, that, that, that's fair, yeah. I, I'm reminded of uh, Seinfeld, which I haven't brought up on the show nearly enough lately, but, like, that's what they did on Seinfeld. Like, in those early years, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld just hired all their comedian buddies to come in the writer's room and tell them all of their stories and all of their observations that they've had in their life. And they turned them into like some of the most famous plot points ever, but they would like burn them out. And every year, every season, they would cycle out the writer's room. And again, these writers were paid and they were credited, you know, in in the credits of the show, but they weren't making like Seinfeldian money off the show. But, you know, I would assume the creator bought his mom something nice with the money yeah i hope so (laughs) he sent her a million whatever whatever yeah she gets like a cut of the royalties it's like in the contract (laughs) that we don't even know about so ryan i have to ask one final question before you ask that question though before you do i just want to give a shout out to my brother-in-law in seoul sungyeon who does listen to this podcast so hey sungyeon thanks for listening and also, he's an awesome dude and totally not like any of the dudes who are in Moms. Jen, my second to last question, which I'll ask you as our very special guest, would you recommend this book to anyone? Oh, absolutely. I, I would recommend it to anyone. I feel like it's just, you know, like 
it's just it's interesting and it's not the kind of comic that you read very often so yeah i, I would recommend it to anyone all right ride last question what question I gotta ask. Ooh, what is it okay here we go what are we reading next week well if moms was about moms without the children next week it's all about children without the moms or dads <laughs> or anyone except psychopaths and monsters that's because next week we're going back to japan with the drifting classroom the manga series from the 1970s by kazuo mezu part lord of the flies part lovecraft horror show you know roman's gonna love it because the drifting classroom was a big influence on everyone's favorite family-friendly creator junji ito of course it was so we're gonna dig into the entire run of the drifting classroom next week on quarantine comics it's three phone books long <laughs> Jen, this was an absolute gas having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for hosting. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. Qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe. <laughs> <laughs>